0: This is Chapter 87 of the WCBS Author Talks Podcast. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Cherkovich. Coming up, we talk to David Baldacci about something he's never done before. Plus, twin sisters share a dangerous life in the debut book written by real-life twins. Thriller writer David Baldacci has written more than 40 best-selling books, But with his new release, Long Road to Mercy, he steps out of his comfort zone with the introduction of a female lead, his first. Our Pat Farnack gets the scoop. I'd want to read any story I have to tell you
1: that had Shattered Rock, Arizona in it. Is that a real place (laughs) or is that something out of your imagination?
2: That is a figment of my imagination, but I thought it was a kind of a cool story.
3: <laughs>
1: I'll say. Now, you introduce FBI Special Agent atlee Pine, and uh, she is quite a character, and that is her home base, Shattered Rock, Arizona, the FBI office. Tell me how that came about.
2: Yeah, I've been writing for such a long time, and you want to try to challenge yourself and get out of your comfort zone. So this mm-hmm. is the beginning of a new series with a solo female protagonist, which is kind of cool. And I also wanted to change geographical locations. I had recently visited the Grand Canyon and found it an amazing, mesmerizing place, and also one that's quite dangerous. You know, people die there every year. So I decided to have her out in the western United States because she felt like a more open-air kind of person. She didn't want the big city life. She wanted to be sort of the only federal presence for a great many square miles. And so all of that dovetailed nicely into the character I was trying to build for her.
1: Was it challenging writing a female character?
2: I've been I've grown up my whole life surrounded by women. I had like twenty aunts, you know, my both my mom and dad came from huge families. Oh. And my mom was a force of nature. I'm married to a force of nature. We raised a very independent daughter. Writers had to be good observers and I have yes. been a good observer all my life. You know, I remembered a lot of what I've heard and seen and brought sort of those you know, that information and that wealth of information and in creating these characters and putting them together in the story.
1: Your stories really grip readers from, uh, I was going to say the first page, but really the first paragraph. Um, This one features a Grand Canyon mule stabbed to death and a, a missing rider.
2: Ooh. Yeah, you know those mule ride. I've never done the mule ride, but they're pretty intense. Um, they have spine, you know, few spines, and so the paths are very narrow and obviously very steep. And you know, you're talking maybe six feet across, and and the and the mules always walk on the outside of the path. It's just how they do it. And since their bodies swing out every time they make a stride, you know, the whole hit, their body swings out. It means the riders has swung out over open air, like you know. 3,000 feet down. (laughs) Um, And it's just a a fascinating place. So these mule rides, they happen every day. And at the bottom of the canyon, there's a place called Phantom Ranch where people the mule riders go down and they'll stay the night there and then ride the mules back up the next day. And uh, in this case, Adley's investigating uh, a mule. One of the mules was found butchered with strange initials carved in it. Um, They don't know what happened to the mule and they really don't know what happened to the rider. And so they have to find the rider of the mule.
1: So we suspect that there's also a dark reason, of course, why Atlee yes. is such a loner. And she has a, an incredible past, starting with what happened when she was six years old.
2: Yeah, she's one of twins. Her sister's name was Mercy Pine, hence the title of the book. And a man came through their window when they lived in Macon, Georgia, and did the nursery rhyme "Eeny, meeny, miny, moe." and the way that the number of words in that rhyme, mm-hmm. the first person with "Eeny," then you get, the rhyme is going to end on the other person.
3: Yeah. And they did
2: it on Mercy, and the man took Mercy and almost killed Atley. Since that time, 29 years ago, she has no idea what happened to her sister, whether she's alive or dead. And that really has been sort of a motivating force for her in her life. And I think in some ways, Atley Pine is living two lives, her own and that of her sister's, because she didn't have the chance to live a life.
1: And you are asking yourself that throughout the book. How do you live with that?
2: Survivor's guilt, classic survivor's guilt for her. You know, she's haunted by the fact that she hasn't found out what happened to her sister. Probably one reason she became an investigator, because her job is to solve mysteries like that. But the survivor's guilt is really bad, because if the killer or the man who abducted Mercy had started the rhyme on Mercy's forehead, you know, he thumped her forehead with each word, he would have ended on Natalie and would have taken Natalie instead.
1: What kind of research did you do for Long Road to Mercy?
2: I visited Arizona, the Grand Canyon, and the environments around there, and spent a great deal of time out there, actually. Interviewed probably a dozen people who had hiked the canyon, who had done the mule rides, so I really got a great taste for what that was all about, and little details that ended up in the novel that I think made it a lot better and more fulfilling for people. Um, You know, I read studies about twins. I read studies about survivor's guilt, Um, interviewed uh, FBI agents to get a good feel for how agent in this situation would operate, particularly these resident agencies. You're talking about very small agencies. In fact, Atlas is only a one-agent agency. To see how they actually operate in real time and in real life, to make it as accurate as I possibly could.
1: Why did you call it Long Road to Mercy? It's such a memorable title. Did that just come to you or did it come to you while you were writing or did you start with it?
2: It came to me while I was writing it and I, since I knew this was going to be a series uh, that and I also knew that the resolution of what happened to Mercy was not going to take place in this novel. Mm-hmm. It just kind of jumped out to me that this is going to be a long road you know, to finding out what happened to Mercy. This is just the first step. Uh, so the title really fit, and it was, it was very memorable. In fact, when I put it into, like, Amazon or Barnes & Noble, there's no other book that comes up with that title. You know, sometimes you put in the title The Guilty or whatever. Yes. It's like lots of books have that title, but Long Road to Mercy was sort of sweet, generous. So.
1: Great. I can't wait to see what is next for you. What are you working on now?
2: Before I left on tour, I finished the first draft of the next novel. It's Amos Decker, my memory man. He'll be back uh, in spring of next year.
1: Any big screen plans?
2: Yeah, we just sold. uh, It was just announced on Deadline and Variety last week. We sold, um, I have a series with John Puller, a military investigator, producing along with uh, Gary Oldman, the actor's company. And we just sold that television series to Fox Network for a primetime network series. And so they're speedily working on that. Our showrunner and head writer is a woman who did that job for Bones. So they're speeding along, putting the script together, and everything goes well. And, you know, there's no guarantee that will then yeah. we'll see it on the air uh, next September.
1: Exciting. What will it be called?
2: You know, they're still working on that. I've got some <laughs> ideas for that. I've sent them along, but, you know, we haven't decided anything yet.
1: Too bad it's not Long Road to Mercy. Wow, that is, uh, <laughs> that's a great title. What are your best, I think, if not the best? Thank you. Well, good luck with the book, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
2: No, absolutely. Always enjoy it. Thank you.
0: Twin sisters are forced to live a life they want to survive in the dystopian future that exists in the new novel The Rule of One. The book is the brainchild of identical twin sisters Ashley and Leslie Saunders, and I recently had the pleasure of speaking to both of them about this first book in a three-part series. You guys have to tell me, where did this idea come from?
3: Hi, this is Ashley speaking. Um, The idea came from, we started writing this story about seven years ago, um, and it, it first started out as a feature screenplay that we then adapted into a novel series. Um, we, we always wanted to tell a twin sister story. It was really important to us being twins ourselves. And we love uh, adventure and journey stories. So we asked ourselves, well, what are the highest stakes we can put the twin sisters in? And then we got inspired by China's former one-child policy. And then we built out a future America based on what we believe are the effects of climate change that would have an America actually go as far as to enact their own one-child policy. And and we then adapted the screenplay into the novel. And about um, two years ago, we finished writing that book.
0: It's really interesting that you say that you started writing this seven years ago because there are themes in this book that feel Really, really current. That just happens to be happy coincidence.
3: Yes, it, this is Leslie speaking now. I don't know if you can tell the difference in our voices, but we, we, when we were researching um, a bunch of a lot of novels about climate change, we just realized that all this stuff was going to happen, and we were really scared. You know, we were like, "Oh man, it, it, there could be border walls. There could be ex- they could there could be wars. There could be uh, increased surveillance because of all these effects because of limited resources." And then over the years, as our novel started becoming more and more relevant, it was becoming more scary to us and I think others. And then I think um, that's one of the reasons I think that we got our book deal as well, because it's so relevant. And so it's a scary and happy thing for us (laughs) because our novel is really relevant. And I think it gave us our book deal, but scary times.
0: So you guys must have thought long and hard about where the U.S. ends up in this book, and it's obvious that climate change was really your jumping off point. Is, is that really what you think is the be-all, the end-all that's leading us in the direction that's the future in your book?
3: We do. We believe that if in this political climate, especially, if we keep going towards climate denial and the politics that we're, we're seeing... I, we do believe that that is where we're headed with immigration as well. We, we put that as a big theme in the border walls. And in our book, the border wall is all across the northern border and the, the southern border. And because of the lack of resources, it's sort of become a survival of the fittest in our world. And there is no importing or exporting. So the United States is surviving based on its own resources. And I think that that is the future for a lot of wars, water wars. Um, And then then putting in super storms that are going to happen, there's going to be wars on what cities the United States save. There are going to have to be a lot of difficult choices because there's only so many um, storm recovery resources that could go towards the cities. Like in our book, the Texas governor cut off Houston because of so many Um, devastating storms that happened that they just had to they had to cut it off like a like a limb that was no longer um, helping Texas. So I do we do believe that that it could be the scary future um, that climate change forces on our nation.
0: This is a lot of heavy stuff. Did you have to take breaks and do something completely (laughs) like anti this in order to, you know, refresh yourselves and get your head out of
3: it? Well, not really, because even our breaks, I would I would be reading 1984 and Handmaid's Tale, and I. But the break I saw was just the we tried to put an adventure in the story, so it's not so heavy that we had the sisters go on this adventure and they met a bunch of people, and we tried to make it feel like uh, Lord of the Rings uh, esque thing. Where and so it, that was really fun for us. So we would escape with trying to make these two female young protagonists survive in this world that they weren't supposed to survive in and I actually it was it still even though there's very heavy things in there it was a lot of fun to write and to be in that world for a year writing the novel it, it was intense it was it was intense
0: so whose idea was to was it to write together and what was that process like
3: we've always written together We're, we have a filmmaking background and we went to film school and we would uh write in Direct our all of our short films, and then we got into commercial directing. So we've always written together, and then when we wrote the novel, it was fun because when we, we our writing process is we heavily outline together and we walk and talk. So for our second book, we walked 250 miles just talking out the story, which is a lot of fun because we one of us will have an idea, and then the 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 other one will um, build off of that idea. So we just really help each other build a story. And then we for the novel, we separated. And so we divided the book. We have um, two POV chapters. So me, Ashley, I wrote all of Ava's chapters as the eldest twin. And Leslie wrote all of Mira's chapters as the youngest twin. And it was a, it was a lot of fun and a different way, a different process for us to write individually whole chapters. Because when we write in screenplays, we don't do that. We share scenes. So it was uh, very collaborative. And we edit each other's work. Um, daily. So every day we're editing each other's work.
0: I think you've answered my next question a little bit, but I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) How much of each of you are in Ava and Mira? And are you more like one than the other?
3: Yes. So I'm Leslie, the youngest twin. I'm definitely more like Mira and I got to put a lot of my younger twin angst in there, which is a lot of fun about, about what it's like to be the younger twin and how people always compare and, but we definitely identify a lot of our relationship with Ava and Mira, with how close they are. And we would also, that's one of the ideas I gave, um, that's one of the reasons I gave us the idea as well for the sisters to trade. Um, they share an identity for 18 years, living in a one-child policy world, and one gets to go up and they get to go to school, and then they download the, the day to the sister who has to stay in the basement, and then she gets to go up to school, because Ashley and I, we used to do that. With our own lives. We used to download our days to each other T to the T. Like we used to tell everything from the smallest thing that someone whispered or what, you know, what the And um, I used to, people used to come up to me, students used to come up to me, and they used to think I was Ashley, and I would just pretend I was. I would just pretend I was Ashley, and I would go on with the conversation. They were none the wiser, and I'd go home and I'd be like, oh, well, this person said hello. And we would just download it, and then we would just go on. So that gave us inspiration for that story. And it also made us certain that it would be they could actually achieve it because we did.
0: You guys must have gotten into some trouble though.
3: We actually didn't. We were super shy. That the reason that we that I always identified as Ashley if someone said I was was because I was didn't want to correct anyone. I was too shy to tell someone they were wrong. And I I guess also I thought it was a game that it was fun, that I could con someone and they had no idea.
0: And that's totally created we, we yeah.
3: yeah, it's very mirror, right? It's very Mira of me to be like, yes I am Ashley.
0: And how about uh, uh, you, Leslie? Like how, um, or I'm sorry, now I'm getting the two of you confused. Yeah. Actually. (laughs) Lots of names being thrown around. (laughs) Yes. And I guess it was the same thing for you in writing Ava's character.
3: A lot of my thoughts and feelings are part of Ava. Obviously, I don't feel ownership of our identity as Ava feels. Ava is the firstborn and she's the one who has the microchip. And so I really thought about how I would feel if that was me. A lot of the, how I feel about protecting my sister with Ava, that fierce protectiveness that she wants to keep Mira safe is my feelings. Especially because we ourselves, I don't know if this is another one of your questions I'm going to answer already. We, we took the road trip um, that the girls take in the book. So halfway through writing book one, um, we stopped and we took a 20-day road trip from Dallas to Canada. And we went on to every city, every place that the girls visit, and we would get ourselves into some precarious situations. <laughs> like one day we got um, on a three-mile hike in Palladera Canyon, which is the second can- biggest canyon in the United States. We got, uh, we stepped into a bobcat's den, which was very scary. Nice. And we, we yeah, it was pretty scary. I would just, we, we just heard, rawr, this huge ferocious roar. And we just paused and we looked at each other and we said, run, which is what you're not supposed to do. And on the run back, we just saw all these paw prints because it had actually been stalking us the entire three miles in, into the canyon. That was the, I mean, it was the greatest fear I've ever felt. And I just found myself thinking over how, how can I protect my sister? How can I keep my sister safe? And so we wrote all of those feelings that we experienced on the road trip into the novel and so those feelings of <laughs> protectiveness and fierce bond of sisterhood is absolutely how me and Leslie feel about one another in our relationship.
0: I think that's probably the craziest real life author story that I've heard to date.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then we
3: put that, so I don't know if it, we put it in that experience that was not in the screenplay, nor was it in the outline at all. And it wasn't in the novel that we already wrote. And so after that experience, we put uh, an experience that the, that the twin sisters, um, they, get stopped, they get chased by feral dogs. And so we're like, we have to put that in that the, what we experienced in the novel. And we did.
0: So I know that you mentioned earlier this was a screenplay that's a book. Is there a chance that this is going to be back to a screenplay?
3: Uh, well, now we have, we actually have a developmental deal. We are in the middle of um, adapting it into a pilot television series.
0: That's awesome.
3: So it's been very interesting. You know, we're like challenging ourselves on how many different ways we can tell Ava and Mira's story. It's been a lot of fun putting it into a pilot. And this
0: is book one of three, right?
3: Yes. We just, book two comes out May 7th, and we're in the, we just started writing book three, like last week.
0: Well, I have to tell you, I really enjoyed The Rule of One, and I'm looking forward to see what else you guys crank out together and what other crazy adventures make their way
3: into this book. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Hopefully, not another bobcat.
0: Let's hope not. Yeah,
3: also, um, we also, because our, which another thing where it's life art, is that um, on our cover is a hummingbird. Um, it's actually a hummingbird drone, but it's a hummingbird. And right when we discovered that that was going to be our cover, hummingbirds started following us everywhere. And we, they would just show up in front of our windows, and everywhere we went, hummingbirds would follow us. And then our sequel cover is a snake. And so we're hoping, really, really hoping that that doesn't happen to us, where snakes start following us everywhere.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't want to see that happen either.
3: <laughs> no, because well, it's plausible because we're very, animals are very attracted to us.
0: Ashley, Leslie Saunders, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to me about the Rule of One. Of
3: course. Thank you of for course. having us. For of course. Thanks for talking with us.
0: And that's where we'll close the book on this chapter. Next time around, we'll explore the future of driving and the bigger and bigger role self-driving cars will have. Until then, keep your hands at 2 and 10 and be sure to pull over before following us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books.